This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. The legal information presented on In Legal Terms is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information conveyed does not create any type of attorney-client relationship. Please consult an attorney provider before making any decisions about your specific legal questions. Welcome to In Legal Terms on from MPB Think Radio, the show all about you and your rights. I'm Liz Gill with Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law, joining us via Skype. Uh, hello, Professor Gershon. How did the university's moot court team do last week in New York? Well, thank you for asking, Liz. I was very proud of that team. Uh, we had uh, one of our competitors, uh, Carson Phillips, was second uh, best oralist. Uh, we did not advance past the opto finals, though, but uh, I was really proud of them. They they represented the university well. Go and, Land Sharks. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Well, we'd like to welcome uh, Kelly Kyle, an attorney with Kyle and Associates, who has a record of dealing with elder law and estate planning with offices in Ridgeland, Diamond Head. And Hernando, thanks for coming on the show today. Good morning. Thank you for having me again. It's always a pleasure to be here. We're always glad well, to uh, to have him, aren't we, Professor Gershon? We are. And I was going to say, you know, Kelly's not just a, a great lawyer, but he's really a great person, too. He um, actually uh, is a licensed pilot, and he is has been an active active person with Angel Flight, which is a charitable organization, who donates their time to take cancer patients to distant locations for treatments. And he also transports uh, four-legged passengers on rescue missions, takes uh, animals from shelters to foster care and forever care. And so it's always great to have Kelly on the show. Liz and I were just talking about that before we started the show, Professor. And the dangers of looking at uh, cute puppy photos that need That's to be That's right. They'll, they'll end up Facebook. coming home with you to stay if you're not careful. <laughs> That's happened in my case. Well, we probably could do an entire show on rescue puppies, but that will be for Creature Comforts, our 9 a.m. Thursday show. This show, we're going to be talking about avoiding probate. So let's start with our definition. What's probate? Well, uh, shall I take this or, or do you want to, Professor? You take it, Kelly. Okay. Well, uh, probate simply is the process that your will has to go through. That is, is if you do a will. Some people won't even do any type of estate planning. But whether you do a will or whether you just let it uh, go according to the laws of the state of Mississippi, that is the process that uh, what we call your stuff has to go through in order to be passed down to your uh, beneficiaries. It also is the opportunity for your creditors to stake their claim to to your estate, uh, get paid money that you owed them during your lifetime. Uh, it can be a complicated process. It can be a very time-consuming process. Uh, it takes place in Mississippi in the Chancery Court system uh, before your local chancellor or Chancery Court judge. Um, and like we said, it's just an expensive process. It's something that we in our firm advocate people do their very best to avoid um, because in addition to the time delay, in addition to the cost, 
lost, it also just results in a, a loss of your privacy. Uh, in other words, all of your assets, their values, uh, become part of a public record. Uh, the creditors, when they file their claims with the court, that also becomes part of this public record. And we used to say that all of this information about you and about your personal affairs uh, became public, and it was available for anybody off the street that wanted to come into the Chantry Clerk's office and take a look at. Well, as any practicing attorney now knows, over about the last 10 or 15 years with our Mississippi Electronic Courts filing system, we don't even have to go into the clerk's office or mail these documents to the clerk's office anymore to get them filed. We simply file them from uh, the convenience of our office on our uh, desktop or laptop computer. And then, of course, once the information gets into that system, it's also reviewable uh, by anybody on the Internet as well. So uh, it's one of these processes that people have, I guess, become accustomed to uh, over many, many years. But it's something that, as we say, also is completely avoidable. Well, that's, you know, and I, I want to know, I mean, is that something you need a lawyer to help you through uh, through the probate process with? Well, uh, under Mississippi Uniform Chantry Court rules, which apply in all 82 Chantry Courts, uh, yes, an attorney is absolutely required in order to do a probate. I tell people there are lots of things you can do in Chantry Court. Uh, you can change your name. You can represent yourself in a divorce. You can uh, represent yourself in child custody or support proceedings, but you absolutely have to have a licensed member of the Mississippi Bar uh, in order to do a probate process or proceeding. All right, so, Kelly, what happens? I mean, I have seen a statistic that about 60% or so of Americans do not have wills. So what happens when they die without a will? Well, when they pass away, all of their assets that um, are not left to someone in another way. And in Mississippi, we have a couple of ways of doing that. You know, most husbands and wives own their homes uh, and other property as what we call joint tenants with right of survivorship. That means that when one spouse dies, let's put it in the context of a married couple, when one spouse dies, uh, the other one owns the property automatically. So there is no need for probate uh, for that particular asset. But that person, the first spouse that dies, may have owned other property, other real estate, maybe just in their name, maybe property that they owned before the marriage, maybe property they inherited during the marriage, maybe property that they bought during the marriage and just didn't put the other spouse's name on it. We see that a lot. Uh, that property is going to have to go through the probate process. And if they did not do a will, in other words, saying where they want the property to go, then it falls upon uh, what we call the laws of descent and distribution. And they're different for every state. Uh, but that would determine where uh, those assets are going to go. And a lot of people think, well, my spouse is going to get everything. But that's actually not the case. In Mississippi, if you die without a will, your spouse doesn't get everything. If you have children, the spouse and the children are going to split everything uh, in equal shares. So in order for your property to go the way that you want it to go after your death, you do have to take the step uh, of doing some planning. And uh, one way of doing that is with a will. Uh, but like we said, the will has to go through the probate process. So for most of our potential clients, we recommend the use of a trust, which can pass the property where the client wants it to 
go and avoid that probate process. Well, best case scenario, someone maybe has a, 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 a trust, they have a will, how how long how long could the shortest probate process be? In Mississippi, in my experience, it's not going to go um, much less than about nine months. I mean, we, there are just certain things that have to be done. We have to get the death certificate. We have to uh, file the petition to open the estate. We have to get in and see the judge, get the estate opened. Uh, you have to uh, file a notice to the creditors. That has to be run in local newspapers uh, for three consecutive weeks. You have to give creditors at least nine 90 days in order to probate their claims, that is, file it with the court. Um, and only after that and other steps have been taken can you then go back in and close the estate. And like I said, just as a practical matter, dealing with getting all of these things accomplished, um, getting in to see the judge when you need to, you're looking at about nine months at a minimum. And I always say nine. Sorry, ahead. I always say sorry, Liz. I always say nine months coming into the world, nine months leaving it, and that's kind of the way the probate process. <laughs> I had not ever thought about that, but that's that's very appropriate. Well, and I guess the person who sees this all through is the executor of the estate. That's right. If you have uh, prepared a will, had a will done for you, uh, you name an executor, and the executor is the person that is responsible for uh, meeting with the lawyer, initiating this probate process. Process, uh, notifying the creditors, um, and ultimately distributing the assets after the court has given permission to do that. All right. We have a call. I understand the call is a little off topic, but we'll go ahead with it. Robert from Mobile, go ahead. Hello, Counselor. Uh, I'm Robert in Mobile, Alabama. And uh, I'm interested to know, is it possible for an individual citizen voter to sue Donald Trump for sedition and treason, which we all watched him do on television during the uh, during the campaign, is it is it possible for an individual to sue Donald Trump? Well, I, I would suggest we break this into: Can you sue the president? And then, what does it take to sue somebody for treason? Who wants this one? Well, I'll try this one. One thing is states, definitely, there are 16 states who have sued the president or at least the administration regarding uh, certain policies. But uh, typically it would be have to be a state or a state attorney general. Uh, individuals, the president is protected in some ways by uh, something called sovereign immunity. Uh, and so you would have to have specific standing. And even then, there would probably be some protections. Um, you know, there are questions about whether a sitting president can be prosecuted for a crime either. So, you know, those are all somewhat unresolved. But I do think uh, it would be very hard to show that an individual had standing uh, to bring a lawsuit against the president. It would have to be someone who specifically had uh, been aggrieved by him. Um, and then even then, I think sovereign immunity would protect him in most cases. Uh, and so, you know, again, with prosecution, they're talking about really if, if they were going to prosecute him, it may be have to wait until after he's president. Uh, now, as far as treason, treason is something that really comes from uh, the Congress uh, to, to bring. And, and uh, you know, typically if there are actions against the president, impeachment, uh, for whatever reason, that has to begin in Congress. And so the you know, Constitution actually dictates how, how that process takes place, but individuals really can't, can't bring that, uh, that cause either. 
people. We aim to educate the listening population of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. And we're going to continue our discussion. Maybe we'll try to stick a little bit to the probate category for uh, our show today. After this break, um, if you have a question about the laws concerning estate planning, give us a call. Our number is one 877 mpb ring That's one 877 672-7464. You can also send us an email, legalterms at mpbonline.org. Who has a will and who doesn't? We'll look at some statistics when we come back. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Welcome back to In Legal Terms. Liz Gill here with Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law with our guest, Kelly Kyle, an attorney with Kyle Wynn & Associates, who's been on our show before on March 27, 2018. Other will and estate programs that have been broadcast have been October 9th, May 8th, and February 13th of 2018. If you want to go back and listen on our website, mpbonline.org slash in legal terms. Now, according to a survey quoted by AARP, 81% of those age 74 and older and 58 percent of baby boomers ages 55 to 73 have wills so good for them um, this morning we're talking about avoiding probate and why we would want to do that for our loved ones we're going to take a uh, email quickly uh, we had some you know we've had some bad weather in Mississippi well I was going to say last weekend but it seems like almost all the time uh, this is a single family home completely destroyed by tornado hypothetical inquiry what will the federal and state taxes likely be on an insurance company payoff to replace dwelling and contents uh professor gerson you want to hit on that one sure i'd be happy to and there actually is a code provision section 1033 of the internal revenue code says that if you uh have an involuntary conversion of your property your home uh, you know by tornado fire something like that uh and you get insurance proceeds it's possible you may have a gain uh that would normally be taxable because the proceeds may exceed what you paid for the house but section 1033 allows you to replace that home within two years uh, and avoid immediate taxation on that gain. You can defer the gain until you later actually sell the house in the more conventional way. Now, if you are in a pres- presidentially declared disaster area, Section 1033 gives you four years uh, to replace that home. So, you know, Congress recognizes that sometimes things happen, and, and if you really uh, get insurance proceeds, uh, you know, so you have this cash, but you don't replace the house immediately, you do have some time before you have to report the gain. Since your state taxes are based on your federal adjusted gross income and gross income. If the uh, proceeds are not included in your income on your federal tax return, they also will not be uh, taxable on your state tax return. So it's a, it's a you know unfortunate thing to have happen, but at least the tax law does help you out a little bit. 
All right. But our main focus on this show is going to be talking about wills and estates. Our phone number is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two. 7464. You can send us an email to legalterms at mpbonline.org. And before we proceed, we have a call. We're going to go to James in Wiggins. James, thanks for being part of our show today. Go ahead. Yes. I was wondering if they could go into describing a trust a little more in depth. And, well, what protections do you have if you have a trust? Okay, well, that's a great question. I'll be happy to field that one. Um, A trust is one of the primary means of avoiding probate. And the way it works, James, is uh, if you were our potential client and we were creating a trust for you, we would create your trust. That is just basically prepare the documents necessary. You'd sign your name at the dotted line at the bottom. And after we create the trust, we then uh, advise you, guide you in transferring a majority of your your assets into that trust. And technically, the way you do it is you put the assets in your name as trustee of your trust. So they're still yours. They're still under your control. You do what you want to with them. And what I'm referring to is called a revocable trust or a grantor trust. There are other types of trust, but this is uh, kind of what we'll limit our discussion to this morning. So your trust, your property is in your name as trustee of your trust. So you're in charge of it. Uh, But also in the way that that property is titled, it's in your name as trustee or your successors in trust. And when we create your trust, we also list other people that will take charge after you're not able to be in charge any longer. Whether you become incapacitated or whether you pass away, you're going to need somebody then to uh, take charge of those assets in your trust. And that person is called your successor trustee. If you become incapacitated, your successor trustee will be able to use those assets for your benefit, uh, paying for your care, doing all the things that are necessary uh, to look after you as long as you're alive. But then when you pass away, the successor trustee is going to really step in and serve as what would otherwise be called your executor, the person who's responsible for wrapping things up, for paying your last bills, and for ultimately then distributing your assets the way that you've said in your trust you want it to go. So the advantage is that your successor trustee after your death is able to do everything that you've uh, told them in writing to do but they're able to do it without going through the probate process. They don't have to uh, go to a lawyer uh, and open your estate and see a judge and uh, have the uh, publication in the newspaper for your creditors and, and all of that sort of stuff. It also keeps things private because there is no court file that's open. Everything stays uh, purely between you and your family, your intended beneficiaries. So uh, that, in a nutshell, is how a trust works, what it is, what it does. Um, so any other questions on that? Yes. Can a trust be challenged? Well, you know, I guess we uh, always say in the legal business, anybody with about $150, that's what it costs to uh, file a a lawsuit. Uh, Anybody with $150 can challenge something by by suing the trust. But uh, a trust, if it's done right, will have uh, some what we call no contest clause provisions put in there. And if done right, 
that should provide some uh, guarantee that your wishes will be carried out because the person that challenges the terms of the trust does so at their peril. Uh, and if they've been provided for otherwise in the trust, if they decide they want to get greedy and try to get a greater share than what you've left them, uh, it could mean that they get cut out entirely. Or they could end up paying legal cost and all that stuff, right? Yeah, exactly. They're, it, it's not uh, you know inexpensive to bring something like that. So, uh, yeah, you're right. They have to be able to pay the fees to do it. And like I said, they run the risk of not receiving anything even after they've gone to the trouble of contesting it. Okay. Thank you. James, we're glad that you called in this morning. If you have, if anyone else has a call, that uh, question that you would like our guest attorney Kelly Kyle from Kyle Wynn & Associates or Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law to answer. We're talking about estates. We're talking about wills. We're talking about probate. Our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two. 7464. Our email address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. Let's take our next call. It'll be Theodore, who's on the road. Drive safely. Theodore, we're glad that you've called in. What's your question or comment for the show? Yes, I, I was con- uh, wanted some information as to how, uh, if a will is not probated timely, what is the limit for that will to be uh, probated? And uh, if it's not probated, say five, six, seven, ten years, uh, what are the ramifications for the people that are in the will? Professor Gershon, do you want to uh, touch on that and, and let me kind of come in after? Well, I would say this. I mean, Kelly, you and I both know that if someone has a will that and they know a person has died, they have some some duty to get that will to the chancery court, uh, the appropriate chancery court to have it probated. Uh, you know, that can cre- obviously can create problems because there are circumstances where estates have been opened after after years when uh, it found that uh, people found out there was another heir or you know another uh, document that might have uh, uh, driven the uh, process differently. The problem is if the assets are already distributed, that can be very difficult. I'll let let you follow up on that, Kelly, because you might have actually seen these circumstances. Well, I've not been personally involved in anything like that, but um, it's like you said, there is a duty of the executor uh, if they have the will, if they know where it is to bring that will forward uh, and to probate it timely. Uh, I'm sure there's a statute on point uh, that may give some uh, specific requirements, but uh, off the top of my head, I can't really think what that is. But um, there is a requirement that the executor uh, probate the will if he knows where it is. Uh, And of course, if the will, if there's a question about whether it still exists, whether it's been destroyed, um, then we can proceed in testate, which would mean proceeding as if there was no will. Um, But it's Again, one of those things I wish I I had access to the Mississippi Code uh, because I'm sure there is something on point. Uh, Unfortunately, I I just am not uh, able to pull that up right now. Me, me either, but I think there is a process. There's definitely a process for reopening an estate, but that's always a messy process. So, you know, I think this is where conversation is so important. Don't you agree, Kelly? I mean, it's, if, if I have a will, I want to know my, uh, in fact, my, my wife and I have told our, 
our sister-in-law where our will is, where to find it. Uh, you know, so there's no question that that is where our wills are, uh, and uh, or our state plan in general. And so, um, you know, it's really important that people communicate these things so that we don't have. Uh, a, a document pop up seven years later. That's not in anybody's best interest. Right. Putting the plan in place is, is really only one part of the process. You also need to make sure that uh, the person who's going to be responsible for carrying it out uh, knows where it is and what will be expected of them. Maybe we need to institute a, a tell your family where your will is a holiday every year to uh, encourage folks to discuss this with the people in their life. Not a bad idea. All right. Well, we're going to take our next break. We're talking with Kelly Kyle about avoiding probate. Please give us a call. 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464 for your questions. You can also send an email, legalterms at mpbonline.org. We'll hear some more statistics about who has a will and who doesn't when we come back. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Professor Richard Gershon is our expert. He's joining us via Skype from the University of Mississippi School of Law. And we hope you'll subscribe to our podcast. There's uh, many different podcasting platforms. If you have an Android phone, if you have an uh, uh, Apple phone, it's there on your phone. But for the Androids, I like Podcast Addict. I downloaded it to my phone. I touched the plus that took me to the page to search for podcasts. Then I typed in in legal terms in the search area and it brought up our show. And then I was able to touch the photo, then subscribe. And I'm notified when any new episodes are loaded up. Uh, Kelly, what's the name of your podcast? Do you you use it a podcast or just a radio show? I have a radio show. We're on uh, WJNT every Tuesday morning um, at 8.06. All right. Um, So that's right here in the Jackson area. There's also an app called uh, News Talk 1180, I believe, that you can uh, get and listen. But I've been doing that show. Actually, today made five years exactly that I've been doing that show. Great. And we'll have a link to that on this show. This morning, we're talking about probate and avoiding probate with our guest attorney, Kelly Kyle. His firm is hosting some seminars in the next month. You'll find that on his website. You'll also find it on ours. They'll be in Diamond Head, Gulfport, Ocean Springs, and Pascagoula. We'll have, I think, there's also some in Memphis. We'll have more information about that on our website. It'll also be on our podcast. And speaking of information, 78% of millennials, that's the 20 to 38-year-olds, and 64% of Generation Xers, which are 39 to 54-year-olds, do not have a will according to AARP. That's really not any surprise to me. We've always said that just the general population as a whole, probably 60% of them won't do any type of estate planning. There's a... 
television ad in Arkansas when I go visit my mom, and their ad is, uh, if you've got one dollar and two friends, you need a will. <laughs> I might have to adapt that. That sounds... Uh... Yeah, I was going to say that one, you know, one way to make sure that people have an estate plan is to tell them if they don't, then the legislature actually creates their estate plan wherever they live. And that's like socialized estate planning. And I think that if you talk to people that they're engaging in socialized estate planning by not doing their own taking responsibility for their own estate planning, that may scare a lot of people into actually doing an estate plan. Whatever you want to call it, I'm happy for people to do estate plans. Exactly. I've always called it the one-size-fits-all, one-size-fits-none estate plan that the state uh, has in store for you if you don't do a plan. All right. And we have a couple of calls on the line. We're going to go now to Earl in Memphis. Earl, thanks for calling in to In Legal Terms. Uh, You're on the air. Go ahead. Okay, my my question is this. My wife lives in Mississippi. I live in Tennessee. We haven't lived together for like 16 years, not due to hostility or anything. It's just worked out that way. And I have properties in Memphis, and, and several pieces are just in my name. And I also have a home here in Memphis, but her name is on it. And we have a home in Mississippi. Her name is on that, plus a, a, another property down there. Uh, do I have to have two separate wills, or, or what do you do when you if something happens to me? Uh, do you have to file separately in each state? Well, you're going across state lines, so I don't know if you're dealing with two different laws or what. Okay, and let me just ask one other question: Do you actually maintain residence, uh, like official residence? In other words, you file taxes in, I believe you said in Tennessee, and your wife files in, in Mississippi. In Tennessee, yeah, and. And uh, she lives in Mississippi. Okay, so you are official residents then of two uh, separate states. Um, right, because I do come to, I do come down there. I just haven't lived down there solid. I come down about you know every few months or so. I spend time down there. Okay. Well, um, you don't have to have two different uh, wills, but mm-hmm. you would have to have two separate probates. Because uh, if you're a Mississippi resident and your will ends up being probated in Tennessee, that will can't do anything to affect your rights in the property that you have in Mississippi. So there would have to be what we call an ancillary probate. So Mm -hmm. uh, that, you know, means, uh, again, uh, another lengthy uh, process. Uh, Time is lost. It also means uh, another expensive process that you would have to go through in order to uh, pass property on to your heirs. Now, I will say this. Mississippi and Tennessee both do recognize what we call joint tenancy with right of survivorship. And I mentioned that earlier uh, in, I think, the first segment of the program. So if you and your wife own those properties as joint tenants with right of survivorship, that property could pass to your wife because she is the other joint tenant. And there might not be a probate required. But that, if, would be, that would be if her name is on it. Because I right. have several properties her name is not on. They're in my name. Okay. So, only. So then, they're income properties, but they're in my name only. Yes, sir. So, but but in, the home I live in in, in in Memphis does have her name on it. Okay. Well, that would, that would pass to her without probate. But the other properties you're describing uh, would have to go through probate in order for her then to be... Uh, uh, deemed the legal owner of it, and if you uh, 
uh, did a will, then you could say, I leave everything to her. But if you uh, did not have a will, then she and your children uh, would end up owning that property in equal shares. First marriage. I've been married to her. We've been married a good number of years. Yeah. And uh, the thing is, I've been to two lawyers up here to try to get a will made out, but I don't. I didn't know legally, and I couldn't get an answer on what I could legally leave to my children because I have I have children that are already you know growing in that. Right. And I couldn't get an answer. You know what? Well, what do we do? I don't because I don't want to leave her everything I have. Exactly. You know? Well. Yeah. She, She's a professional person, and she, you know, she really doesn't need it. In other words, she's got her own uh, thing. So it's been very confusing. Yes, sir, I understand that. You would probably be a a perfect candidate for at least considering uh, doing your estate planning via a trust. Because, as I said, rather than having two probates, your primary one in Tennessee and your ancillary one in Mississippi, you could avoid both probates uh, by putting your property in a, a revocable trust, uh, and you would also be uh, able to leave your property to those that, that you want. Like you said, maybe uh, more to your children, uh, not as much to your wife because she might not need as much. So uh, that, again, is something that uh, that you should consider. Kelly, it, it almost seems like anyone who has property in several states, even if, even if both spouses live in the same state, if you've got a, a hunting cabin out in Wyoming or something like that, a trust would save you that ancillary probate because you could just have that one one entity owning all your property. Absolutely. And, you know, the example that I quote in a lot of our seminars is an ancillary probate that we uh, did in our firm just a couple of years ago. It was for a gentleman who resided in Miami, Florida. He had a, a high rise penthouse there. Um, He also had commercial property in Florida. He owned commercial property in a couple of counties here in Mississippi, and he also owned property in 36 other states. So we did one probate out of 38, and, uh, you know, that guy would have been a perfect candidate for this revocable trust, but I guess he just never got around to looking at his options. Wow, <laughs> that, that's an interesting uh, that's an interesting story. So you know, it, you think of maybe people without as much income uh, being less legally prepared, but then I guess even those with have uh, property in thirty eight states are not as legally prepared as they should be. That's right. And really, this gentleman had done next to no estate planning. He had some of the basics, but uh, certainly not as, as extensive as it should have been. All right. Well, we have another call we're going to go to is uh, Mary Ann in Jackson. Mary Ann, thanks for calling in legal terms. You're on the air. Go ahead, please. I have a question. If accounts are styled as um, transfer upon death to say one's daughter or son or whatever does that take the account outside of probate and secondly if the will says that the money in that account is to be divided but the account is style transfer upon death to one individual which one takes precedence Okay, good question. And a lot of people probably do their estate planning kind of like what you're describing. Yes, you can put someone on an account as a payable on death, P-O-D, payee. And 
And when you pass away, uh, if that person survives you, they are going to uh, get the proceeds of that account. So it certainly works to avoid probate, but I'm very fond of saying in our firm, we deal in the what ifs in life. And there are certainly a lot of what ifs. We say, what if when you pass away, uh, that beneficiary is in the middle of a divorce? What if they've just been sued? Uh, what if they've been forced into bankruptcy by creditors? Uh, what if they have an alcohol or drug problem? Any of those things could mean that someone else, someone that you don't particularly care for, is going to get the proceeds of that account. So, yes, ma'am, while it certainly avoids probate, um, it also opens up some other potential problems. Now, to your other question, what if you have a will that says the uh, Trustmark CD is to be divided uh, among different people, but the Trustmark CD just happens to be payable on death? The payable on death designation is going to control because that's going to keep that CD out of the probate process and the will only controls what goes through probate. So I hope that answered your question. I have one more question. All right. And that is when uh, deceased person's assets do go into probate, is the amount of the fee that a lawyer charges uh, some sort of percentage base of the assets, or how is that determined? Um, I think in the old days, lawyers used to take probates on percentages, but uh, that has never been my experience. I've been in practice now for about 26 years, uh, and we take probates just uh, on a flat fee or an hourly basis, depending on uh, what we and the customer or the client uh, can agree upon, uh, what we think is fair. Uh, so, no, ma'am, it's typically not a percentage. It, it's more just a function of uh, the time that the lawyer puts into that particular process. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Marianne. We're glad that you've called in. We're going to take our last break of the show. We hope uh, you're enjoying our avoiding probate as our theme today. You can still call in with questions. It's one mpb ring uh, so if you have a will, great. We'll tell you what you need to do next when we come back from our break. This is In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. In legal terms on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for joining, being a part of In Legal Terms. If you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show at mpbonline.org. It's also available on the MPB public media app, as are all our local shows. I'm Liz Gill here with Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. Now, if you have a will, good for you. 
when was the last time you updated it? Do you have more kids, grandkids, step-grandkids, great-grandchildren? Maybe it's time to revisit your estate plan. We're talking with attorney Kelly Kyle from Kyle Winn & Associates about avoiding probate. Kelly, how often should you, if you do have a will, how often should you revise it? In our firm, we recommend that clients come back and see us about every three years. And uh, for most of our clients, we're happy to do that for free. We offer, uh, you know, a variety of uh, plans that we can do for people. And most of them uh, like to take advantage of one that allows them just the opportunity to come in, sit down with us, or maybe do it over the phone, like I said, every three years and see what has changed. Um, What you said there at the opening of this segment is is crucial these plans don't just need to be done and then filed away in a safe deposit box or something they need to be reviewed Um, you know again in practicing law for 26 years I've seen a lot of things and a case that I make mention of frequently is a gentleman uh, who lived in the DeSoto County area he had a will um, and then he got married and he never had the will reviewed the will that he had left everything to his parents. And really, I think that is where it's pretty much conclusive proof that that's where he wanted everything to go. But he got married, and shortly after he got married, he died in a motorcycle accident. He had never reviewed that will. The will said everything goes to mom and dad, but the will didn't make any provision for uh, a spouse in there. It didn't even say, if in the future I am married, I leave X amount to my spouse. It was just completely silent uh, on that topic. So because he did not have the will reviewed after he got married, uh, and again, I think he really would have wanted everything to go to his parents, but because the will didn't provide for the spouse, it was not reviewed after the marriage, uh, everything ended up going to her instead. So a very sad case of what can happen if you do your planning but never review it. Professor Gershon, what's your cautionary tale of the acquaintance you had? Well, that's a great question, Liz, and it really is for his non-probate asset, his retirement plan. Uh, he had in his first wife's name as a beneficiary. He never changed that beneficiary designation after he got a divorce. So as Kelly pointed out, when things change in your life, you need to make sure you update all your estate planning documents. When he died, his retirement plan went to his former spouse, even though he was married and had a young child. Uh, so you want that? those are terrible, terrible stories, but hopefully they will help someone else. All right. We have a couple emails to get to. This one says, if executor of trust of parents is living in a foreign country, will that present any particular problems at death for parents living in Mississippi? Also, the trust is in the safety deposit box that the executor has access to the box. Would the safety deposit box be locked at death? What uh, What is your... Uh, take on this one. Okay. Well, let's take that in uh, in parts. The first one, if we have uh, an executor, which is what the uh, person emailed in, referred to, it would actually be a successor trustee because we're dealing with a trust. Uh, so if the successor trustee is living in another country, is that going to present any problems? In my experience, it's not. Uh, There are so many things that can be done uh, by phone, by email, by FedEx, that uh, it's really not a problem if the successor trustee is in another state or even in another country. So that's not going to be a problem. Uh, As to the other 
part about if the documents are in the safe deposit box, would the safe deposit box be locked down at death? Well, not if the client has done as we have suggested, and that is either uh, putting their box in the name of the trust that, if you think about it, is just like any type of bank account. You can have it styled any way you want. So if your safe deposit box is in the name of the trust and or you have put your successor trustee as a signer on that box, uh, the box will not be locked down. Uh, the successor trustee would have the access to it that they need. All right. I, I know we, I got a call, talk about small towns. I got a call from a friend of mine about six, seven years after my dad passed away. They were going through the records of the safety deposit box and he had one. And she was my friend and she knew he'd passed away. And so they had to, uh, dr- they drilled into it. But, uh, you know, that was, that was, you know, something found afterwards. Right. right. All right. Our next email is, my mother died recently and left a house with a mortgage and no will. My sibling and I are in the process of cleaning, uh, clearing the loan. We've done an affidavit of successor, assuming that we can bargain to pay off the house. Is there a way to take possession of the house slash get a deed without going through probate? Just based on the facts of that email, I'm going to have to say probably not. Um, Property doesn't just magically change hands from one owner to the other, especially when we're talking about real property. There has to be uh, the opportunity for other potential creditors of the estate uh, to file their claims and possibly get paid. Uh, there has to be the uh, ability for other potential heirs uh, to be determined and possibly have a share of that estate. That may not be likely, but it's still required as a part of the process. Um, but there's no way for you to get marketable title of that property that was formerly uh, your parents into your and your sibling's name without going through the probate process. Unfortunately, that is just uh, what you have to do in order to get, uh, get title in your name. Now, we have just a few minutes left. We talked about this hour avoiding probate. Is it possible to avoid it 100% or is it just possible to have certain items that are pass outside of probate? No, I think it's entirely possible to avoid probate 100% and most of the clients of our firm are able to do exactly that. If we create a revocable trust for our clients and if they put all of their property in the trust, as we instruct them to do, uh, their estates will pass 100 uh, percent outside of the probate process. So, yes, it's absolutely uh, easy. But that's uh, to with avoid a process. trust. That's right. If you do the uh, payable on death, which we've talked about, or the other possibilities, the uh, joint tenancy with rights of survivorship, if those would still need to go be part of probate? No, if you have done those things, they can pass outside of probate. As we said, the joint tenancy with right of survivorship, as most couples in Mississippi own their home as joint tenants with right of survivorship, it will pass at the death of the first spouse to the surviving spouse. 
but then there'll have to be a probate for it to pass uh, on to the children or the other beneficiaries when the second spouse passes away. So that's not uh, going to entirely uh, avoid it. Again, the payable on death accounts uh, or naming a beneficiary on life insurance policies, we point out that, yes, you can easily avoid probate by naming your beneficiaries. But if your beneficiaries have any of these complications in their lives, like we mentioned before, divorce, lawsuits, things like that, there's no protection for that beneficiary. A trust can pass it to them and avoid probate, but it will also uh, provide that protection so that it goes to your intended beneficiaries, not to their creditors, not to their soon-to-be ex-spouse. And the, the the costs those if you if you if you didn't heed our advice and someone did have to have their estate go through probate, uh, the the costs what are the costs and who would pay those? Well, uh, they're generally going to come out of the assets of the estate, um, and every probate is different. Uh, you know, we never know exactly what the uh, time spent is going to be when we go into it, but um, in Mississippi, it's not at all uncommon for uh, probate costs to start in the four to five thousand dollar range and and go on up from there. Wow, <laughs> that's a lot to me. <laughs> it is a lot of money, but like we said, it, it's something that can also be easily avoided. All right, we have one minute left. What what do you want to leave us with? Well, uh, again, I really appreciate the opportunity to come on here. Uh, I listen to these MPB Think Radio programs as I'm traveling around. As we said, we have offices in uh, Ridgeland and Diamond Head and Hernando. So I'm on the road quite a lot, and uh, I enjoy listening to these uh, shows as I'm driving. It uh, helps the time pass a lot for me. I hear a lot of the same callers that you have on uh, a lot of the different shows. Uh, so I, I appreciate what you guys do in helping inform uh, the citizens of Mississippi with the, with MPB Think Radio. Well, we we appreciate that, and and I I do the same. I love uh, love it that when you're going to a ball game, a swim meet, going to visit grandma, that you can pick us up, and if uh, just as you're uh, leaving the Raymond transmitter, you can pick us up at Starkville or uh, Meridian or whatever direction you happen to be traveling. That's right. All right. Well, thank you so much, Kelly Kyle from Kyle Wynn and Associates has been our guest. I appreciate it. Thanks so much again for having me. All right. So this is going to wrap us up for In Legal Terms. Our call screener today has been Michelle McAdoo, and our board engineer has been Java Chapman. So for, for Professor Richard Gershon, who always has to leave really quickly to get to his next class at the University of Mississippi School of Law, I'm Liz Gill. And up next is our Tuesday Southern Remedy show, Relatively Speaking. We hope you'll join us next Tuesday at 10 a.m. for In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. 